Hey, welcome to Hindsight, the podcast. I'm your host, Lee Jones, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey of exploration with you. We often find ourselves reflecting on the choices we've made and wondering how our lives might have unfolded differently if we had taken a different path. Here's the beauty of hindsight. It gives us a chance to gain wisdom and learn from our past decisions. Look, this podcast is a platform to dig deep into those pivotal moments and uncover the invaluable lessons hidden within. <laughs> Look, I'm Lee Jones, your host, and I couldn't be more excited to have you on board. So let's dive right in and explore the fascinating realm of decisions on Hindsight the Podcast. When you look back in hindsight, everything is 2020. In hindsight, we make mistakes we're learning from the in hindsight. Yesterday and your tomorrow in hindsight is so much clearer now. This is Hindsight the Podcast, and introducing your host, Lee Jones. Welcome to Hindsight the Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Jones. And ladies and gentlemen, on today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Philip Hickman, fondly known as Dr. Phil, with an academic journey featuring five postgraduate degrees and a doctorate. Dr. Phil has left an indelible mark on the world of learning as an accomplished psychologist, educational expert, and ed tech visionary. He's authored three groundbreaking books and presented his innovative ideas at national conferences and workshops, including prestigious institutions like the U.S. Department of Education and Columbia University. Dr. Phil's entrepreneurial prowess is equally impressive. He's the mastermind behind Playbook, a multi-million dollar company using AI gamification and speech recognition to redefine children's reading education. Join us as we explore his journey where failures have been stepping stones to monumental success and where his passion for personalized learning has led to pioneering advancements in education. Welcome, Dr. Phil, Philip Hickman. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty well. That was a, that was a mouthful. I was, <laughs> I know. I'm glad I drunk some water first. <laughs> I was wondering who you were talking about. <laughs> hey, so where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. Okay. How's the weather over there? I always like to ask. It's in the wintertime, just in case. It, it was 40-something in the morning, and, and now it's going towards 70. So yeah. that's, that's the Midwest. Ah, nice, nice. That's that's good weather right there. Um, so tell us just a little bit about, about yourself before we jump into some questions so you don't have to be too detailed. Um, you know, on Hindsight, the podcast, we like to talk about individual journeys, but we also like to talk about what it is that you're doing uh, in, in the different, you know, specialties and yours is in education or ed tech. Um, so just tell us a little, little bit, a little bit about yourself, how you got into it, uh, those things, and then we'll jump into some questions a little bit later. Yeah, I, I, as, as you said, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, actually played uh, football, well, lettered in five sports. So, you know, real athletic family. Um, I was a ball boy for the Kansas City Royals, where I really started to learn about, you know, beyond sports in a sense, because uh, these guys, these professional baseball players were also entrepreneurs and, and, and businessmen and, you know, those kind of things. Um, went to college on a, on a football scholarship to the University of Missouri. Uh, and the funny thing was, I again, although I was an honor roll student, you know, from elementary through college, I didn't know anything about 
you know, college graduate school, those kind of things. Um, and then a professor, he had pulled me aside and said, hey, are you are you going to graduate school? And I said, well, I'm not in that track. I thought it was I thought it was something that I had to enter in as a freshman. And that's when he set me down and, you know, started really mapping out uh, future opportunities for me. Uh, and so went on through the field of education. Uh, I did everything in education from even, you know, from a substitute teacher to assistant teacher, you know, to a teacher. I was a, a principal in areas like St. Louis, Chicago. Um, I was a, a area superintendent and started a charter school in Kansas City. Then I went on to be a superintendent um, in, in places like I was uh, in Houston Independent School District, which is the seventh largest district in the United States. Uh, I had 300 schools, 210,000 students. Um, and then I was a superintendent in Mississippi uh, and one of, uh, you know, a pretty rural district, uh, rural um, kind of urban, in a sense, district uh, in Mississippi. And then I went on to be a national ambassador for the United States Department of Education. And, and I started really looking at, you know, there were there were a lot of issues, especially around reading. Um, and so I wanted to see how I can solve that problem, taught myself how to code, did some work for Apple and Amazon and, and uh, worked extensively for Oracle for a bunch of years. Um, and realized that, you know, technology is is a way, you know, especially after COVID, I, I realized technology is a way to to really um, help our students. Uh, and that's why I developed uh, Playbook, which is an innovative reading technology that uses artificial intelligence, natural language processing and speech recognition to help children learn how to read. Wow. You said that was a mouthful. See, that is exactly what I was talking about during the intro. <laughs> All of these amazing <laughs> things that you've done. And I didn't even get to the five-lettered sports. What sports did you play? Uh, football, basketball, track, wrestling, and baseball. Good gracious. Did, uh, two sports at once, uh, baseball and track. And then also I've written three books as well. But right, yeah. Just, uh, yeah. What, 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 what were the names of the books? So one is uh, E-Motives, uh, The Truth Behind Student Behavior. Um, another one is kind of a fun book. It's called Stop Dribbling Footballs. Um, and it's more of a social emotional book, the, uh, both for adults and, and children. It's illustrated by the guy who actually did the Rugrats in the first 65 episodes of The Simpsons. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It, and then the last book is called Execution by Firing Squad, Effective Leadership When You're the Target. And it kind of talks about, you know, some of my journeys as a superintendent and, you know, where I was held at gunpoint. They would cut the brakes to my car. You know, wow. um, yeah, all those I was I had a, a I actually had a, a, a um, what is that called? A, a bounty, uh, a bounty on my head, basically, uh, where uh, they were going to pay someone to murder me. Um, but the group didn't decide not to um, because they felt that I was good for kids. <laughs> I mean, that was the only reason in Mississippi why while I'm still here. OK, see, I'd, I'd be a horrible uh Horrible host. If I didn't ask you to tell a little bit about that story, why did you have a bounty on your head? Well, in Mississippi, things are things still, but things are a little different. Um, it was almost like a blast back in, in time. But when I say this, I'm only talking about 2014 to 2018. And, um, you know, I, it was a school um, in Mississippi. One of the ways they practice segregation is that all the uh, white kids go to private school, all of them, and all the black kids are at the public school. Um, <clears throat> and so it, it was a 100% African-American school, but the community was not. It, it probably was more like 60-40 or something like that. Uh, 
and 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 um and yeah and so one of the things that it was a failing school been a failing school forever and i and i came in i made a lot of changes and, and i was educating people that they didn't want educated um and i you know i was finding out that people were basically funneling the the public school money and funneling it to private school and also funneling it to their pockets and so you know there was a whole line item that was hidden for years that millions and millions of dollars were being sent elsewhere as opposed to the students that they belong to. Uh, and, and so that was that, that interfered with a, a lot of people's income. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and just making bold moves for kids. You know, I would, I would tell people we would never put the needs of adults over the needs of, of, of children. Like, right. uh, and then one of the things that I think was hard for, even a lot in education is to understand who the customer is. Um, people a lot of times think the customer are the teachers and the and administrators and the customer are actually the students and the parents. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we do everything to convenience us and, and inconvenience our, 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 our the children. Um, and, and so that's something that, you know, a lot of people just just did not um, want to want to do. In right. a sense. I got you. Hey, I appreciate you sharing that. I hope yeah. I didn't trigger yeah, I, anything. <laughs> no, no, you did. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, you know, he had to write it out in a book. But yeah, I mean, even before Ahmad Aubrey, where he was, you know, held at gunpoint yeah. with a truck, yeah, the same thing happened to me. I was jogging. Mm. Um, and and they knew, I mean, they were asking me, Am I Dr. Hickman? And I and I tell, you know, in the book, I, I say that's the first time, you know, I ever denied my name. Uh, and literally I put it in the most humbling terms as possible. I said, no, sir. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, I saw the other guy reach in the truck and he, I saw a butt of, butt of a shotgun. Now I just took off running in a zigzag fashion, you know, from, from Kansas city, <laughs> we, we knew to run in a zigzag fashion and I can look and I can see the shotgun just following me. And then I ran, ran to the woods and came on another side of my neighborhood. And yeah. And just made sure my, my kids were okay. And my family was okay. And, Wow. Went on about the, the, the business of educating kids, man. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, got to remember not to be light of it, but got to remember that zigzag. That, shit, that will save you. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. <laughs> right, right. All right. Um, all right. Wow. So I don't even really need to ask anything else about hindsight, right? That's that's a, a hell of a story. <laughs> but, uh, but I will. Uh, I will. Can you share a pivotal failure or a setback from your educational journey that ultimately led you to where you are today? And if there was a failure and it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you failed and just and maybe in the system, you kind of describe that a little bit. How did you overcome that? Well, um, yeah, I mean, there were obviously there was, you know, several life failures in a sense. Um but, you know, I, I think probably a, a large failure that kind of caused me to uh, pivot, um, I, I would say one, one was in, was a good pivot, but it was in Houston. Uh, and so I had a, a pretty good mentor. And one of the things that, I, you know, I was applying to be superintendent in, in uh, um, Oakland, California. And it was a real politically charged environment, but it, it would have been a, you know, a good opportunity. 
And, it, and this mentor told me, he said, hey, you have um, every day of your life to be a superintendent at a large, a large uh, district. Uh, he said, you know, with the skill set that you have, we understand that you're you're a mission driven person. You need to go to a, a small district and give them that opportunity to have a superintendent, um, you know, a caliber superintendent they would have never had. And so we chose to go to that district in Mississippi. I think the failure was that I, I kind of at one point in time, I stopped listening to advice um, and because I was determined, um, you know, you can call it a failure in a sense. I was determined to make sure that these students were were going to be OK. But the history of a superintendent's job is that uh, the average shelf life of a superintendent is two years, two years, two and a half years. They tell you in school, as, as soon as you get the job of, of a superintendent, that you need to be looking elsewhere um, because all it takes is a board to, you know, I had five board changes in four years. So it just takes a, you know, a, a different group that come in that didn't necessarily want you from the beginning or, or, you know, they're running because, you know, you suspended their child or something like that. They want to get on the board just to get back at you. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, it's just anything. It doesn't, it has nothing to do with performance. You know, I, when I left the district, it was the largest performing district. It was the fastest performing in uh, math and language arts in the state of Mississippi. Um, but are one of the fastest. But the the issue was, you know, two years came around and I didn't have the progress totally that I that I knew I can have for these kids. I mean, it was, you know, these kids deserve I I looked at these kids every day. I looked them in the eye every day and I knew what they deserved. Um and I, I tell you, a failure that happened was it was a very, very powerful individual um that was on our board. Um, and his he's from Philadelphia, Mississippi, and his lineage was um, grandfather or, or was one of the guys, the police officer who allegedly, uh, well, where the civil rights workers disappeared. And he was the last one to see him um, when, when they went to Mississippi. Uh, and so he had that kind of tough lineage. And, and I took him on. Um, and one of the things he said in a board meeting was, you know what, Dr. Hickman? The, the problem you have is these kids deserve a you're trying to give these kids a Cadillac and they deserve a Chevy. Um, and, and, and I was, you know, I was enraged uh, at that point in time. Um, and, you know, we were kind of going back and forth. But one of the, the, the in, that's what led to, you know, my brakes being cut and those kind of things. I, I say it was a, uh, a tragedy because at that point in time, um, the, the one of the, the trainings that you have is that in, in, as a superintendent, you you hug the prickly pear uh, and hug the prickly pear means, you know, you hug in, in, in Texas terms, you hug the cactus, the, the one that, that has the most sharp edges. Right. right. You stay closer to them. Um, and that kind of drew us apart. Uh, and so therefore, I couldn't effectively communicate with him about what these kids need where he was still stuck on a personal vendetta. Um, right. You know, and, and so that that interfered with um, the learning of, of, of children uh, and, and that that always haunted me because, you know, it, it could have been things, you know, I, I could have phrased it differently. Um, you know, once he said that, uh, because I asked him, are are your kids going to go to the school? And he said, no, he would never put his kids in the district. But yet he's, he's on the board. 
Right. <laughs> and so, wow. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just I kind of embarrassed him to where he he wouldn't let it go, uh, you know, in the future board meetings. But the, the beauty of it was not if you find a silver lining is what it allowed me to see is like, OK, as a superintendent, you have influence, but the board has more influence. And, okay. and at the end of the day, it's their kids, their buildings, their money. And they and the board is allowed to make mistakes. And so with that mindset, I said, well, how do I impact more children? I want to impact children. That's my mission on earth. And that allowed me to start, you know, uh, working with the United States Department of Education as an ambassador, start seeing things on a global scale. Um, and, and then that's really what what I looked at. OK, how could I really do that at scale? And that was developing technology. Um, and, and in case, you know, I, I say this all the time, in case people don't know or, or your 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 uh, listeners don't understand it. In the United States, currently uh, over 75 percent of fourth graders in the United States read below grade level. Um, and, you know, that leads to a high dropout rate. And so over 73 percent of crime created in the United States is created by high school dropouts. Eighty two percent of prison inmates have a reading impairment that has just never been corrected. So reading is important. It's, it's impacting us all. It's it's causing a generational of of, you know, unemployment and, and, and crime. Um, and, you know, just kind of all those kind of things that it changes your trajectory in life. If you have the, the gift of reading and I was a struggling reader. I, you know, I was struggling reading in third grade until my grandmother taught me how to read. Um, and so that even though she passed away on my fourth grade birthday, um, you know, she gave me a gift to to be able to conquer the world. You know, yeah, that is staggering when you just look at how each thing starting off with the reading kind of correlates to uh, negative impacts potentially on someone's life in the future. Right. Yeah. And you being on the ground level to try to turn that you know, give them a chance in a sense is admirable. Yeah. See, but, but see, the issue is, is, is no longer your neighbor. It's, it's in your backyard. 75% of all fourth graders in the United States, right. so regardless of race, regardless of social economical status, any yeah. of those things, these, these, these babies are struggling. Um, and you know, it, a lot of it was teacher methodology. Um, you know, and, and then you have other things, you have a national teacher shortage, uh, I, I guarantee you, I've been in states where um, they're just hiring people. Um, some people didn't even, you know, not that that's, I'm just saying, but in an ed- education setting, some people didn't even graduate from or finish high school or just graduated from high school and that's it. Um, and they're teaching reading, they're teaching math, they're teaching high level because they don't, they just need warm bodies in a classroom. They don't have any teachers, um, you know, that, that want to come to the district. And then on top of that, not only is there a national teacher shortage currently in the field, but we have uh, universities that are closing their college of education because they don't have enough students to in the program. Uh, and so you so even though, you know, people say, OK, you know, how do we really teach reading? We need a, a human teaching reading. If we don't prepare for the future, um, you know, it's it, it, the gap is going to get wider and wider and wider, and therefore it leads to all those negative consequences. Yeah. Wow. So what's the what's the solution? Well, I mean, one of it, I you know, proudly I would say the technology that I developed, um, and one of the reasons why it's unique is because the only way right now we currently assess reading is we quietly have a child read a paragraph and answer multiple choice questions. Yeah. Or in a younger age, we just kind of drag and drop 
things in a gamification way. Well, my technology is the first technology that actually hears a child read. Um, not only can we hear them read, but we can hear all the way down to the phonemic level. So, you know, if you read the word bat, we hear buh, at in your speech on every word. And we can dissect every aspect of your reading and, and, and then also prescribe a solution. Uh, and then, of course, we have the fun things like gamification. But, you know, they our games go to the highest level and use utilizes voice in order for a, a student to advance a character. Just all those kind of things um, that are not traditional, but they they mimic uh, because of technology, we mimic what uh, a real trained human uh, could do. And, and that is the only way is it is that you have a child read to you. You have a child pronounce a letter. You have a child, uh, you know, uh, say the phonic sounds and, and word sounds and letter sounds and all those kind of things. That's how reading is is really handled. The only aspect that we're doing now is really just reading comprehension. When you have a child read a paragraph and answer multiple, multiple choice questions, that's reading comprehension. That has nothing to do with basic reading. And and the, the the issue of reading is that people spend more time trying to decode and break down a word that they don't have enough mental energy to understand what they read. All right. So we're going to we're going to stay on uh, playbook right now. <laughs> uh, no, since you're since you're on it. Right. Because this is this is, um, you know, it's different types of, of learning styles and, you know, from my perspective, there's a big flaw in the the way teachers are teaching now. And it's not that the teachers, because a lot of the teachers go beyond the uh, normal, you know, playbook for <laughs> lack of a better word. Right. And and they're impactful. And you see people, you know, who look back on their teachers and thank them. Right. Because they were impactful. They went beyond the curriculum. Right. With Playbook, you're pioneering AI uh, gamification and speech recognition for children's reading. Um, can you share a memorable story of a child whose learning journey was significantly uh, transformed by this technology? Yeah, we, um, you know, we, we took on a group of students that came out of COVID um, and they haven't been in first grade and haven't been in second grade. So they really didn't get those foundational skills. And regardless of what anyone say, there was no teaching and instructing of reading during COVID. That's, it's impossible. It's even impossible to, to have an entire class read to you or work with one student and read, you know, while class is going on. So it, it was just, and the technology we had, like I described before, it's just either point click or, or drag and drop or, or answer multiple choice questions. Um, and so we had a lot of kids that that unfortunately right now we have a lot of kids that miss, you know, not only the first two years, which deal with teaching social skills, how to sit down, how to raise your hand, how to, you know, persevere, how to delay gratification, all those kind of things. But they missed all the foundational skills of reading, which they kind of look like a Swiss cheese effect. They have holes in their foundation um, and you need to plug those holes. And so playbook was real good at using artificial intelligence to really analyze um, and really find the gaps in those students learning plug the holes and, and man, these, these kids, you, you would think that they were, um, like a, just a, a expression of joy. Yeah. Um, is, you know, they just had to, to be able to have the gift of reading to comprehend and, you know, just those kind of things. It was just fun to see, um, mm -hmm. you know, as soon as you plug those gaps that, and so the difference is people, uh, um, associate, um, learning disabilities or special education with, with children who cannot read. 
And a lot of it dealt with the, the lack of exposure to uh, correct reading instruction. And so these students went from looking like they, they need to be in a self-contained classroom, uh, meaning that they were mentally, mentally impaired or mental, you know, ID, intellectual deficit, whatever you want to, whatever states call it, uh, or mental retardation is what uh, the, the old term is. They went from looking like that because they didn't have any academic skills to access the curriculum, right? Math is even word problems. It's not just one plus one anymore when you get to that level. Um, they went to that to looking like having a confidence and and swagger, uh, you know, of a of a of a student of a confident student. So, what what your extensive uh, experience in education? Can you reflect on a significant shift or evolution in the ed- education landscape? Now, I mean, I, I see a lot of stagnation, you know, in in the uh, education system, and maybe that's just the um, the public schooling. Um, but you are definitely been dabbling in it or immersed in it, uh, throughout your career. So what shifts have you seen that are, that are positive? Well, like you said, the, the stagnation, uh, you know, I, I remember in 2008, uh, I was in Chicago as a principal and the mandate from the state and the federal government was that we have to start utilizing technology within the classroom and, and um, integrating technology, you know, within our students. And, and we had those same conversations, the exact same conversations, 2018. And then we, guess what? Then COVID hit and, yeah. and you had school districts who never, their, their children never been on a, a device, never, you know, and, and all of a sudden we're trying to scramble around and you utilizing things that are made for corporations like Zoom. Um, you know, none of those were, were originally devised to, to teach a classroom, um, especially a K-12 classroom. So that that technology shift uh, and then it led to um, the lack of teacher training to utilize technology. And so you had a mass exodus. You had a mass exodus of older teachers who who they, they saw the shift of technology coming. And they experienced uh, COVID and they said, I don't want any more part of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it left a huge gap uh, in education. Um, The the positive is usually or or still is in a sense that education is like an old dinosaur. It's just hard to to shift and change. Um, And, you know, we we take on initiatives slower, but it it has woke people up um, and you have a lot of good good things going on. Um, right. It's just it's just not communicated. We still work in silos. It's not communicated. It's not shared. Um, but but there are some districts that are are rocking, man. Like they are. <laughs> they, I mean, seriously, they are really pr- preparing kids for their future. But on the other hand, there's there's more districts that are just preparing kids for their past. It has nothing to do with what they're going to be when they get older or, or the, the job market. You know, we know. Um, another stat that I always say is that 85% in 2040, 85% of jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet. Yeah. But we do know that they're going to have two things, uh, technology and, and reading pro- proficiency. Uh, why reading proficiency is because that little black box is going to have access to every information. You're no, you're no longer going to be the, the best student if you're able to memorize facts and, and memorize and regurgitate facts. Like that's that's even obsolete now. Like 
you can you can chat GPT anything. Um, but you're going to have to be able to read through and, and, and critically apply information. You're going to have to be able to read through and know what's good and what's false information and what's what's you know, what's bad information. Um, and, and you're going to and you're going to have in technology, you, you already have automation, which people downplay because, uh, you know, it's going to take over jobs. And when people say automation, they really t- are talking about blue collar jobs. You know, truck drivers going to have automated cars and automated trucks. I mean, they're just going to get smarter. That, that's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's just, they're just fine tuning technology. You know, anything that you could think of in a physical sense, work in a warehouse. But the one thing that people are downplaying is, is white collar automation. Um, I mean, already you can develop large language models using ChatGPT to to comb through legal briefs and be a, a top lawyer and, and be prepared to present your case. You know, doctors are already using um, robotics to do surgery. Um, and, and, you know, right now they have uh, artificial intelligence is able to predict um, what solution for a person that has breast cancer that has a 99% success rate. And breast cancer is one of the most deadly diseases. So my, my point is, it's not just the, the normal jobs. Like, I can't think of what that is. It's like a, there's a, a, a burger, there's a robot that flips burger. I think it's called like Patty or something like that. You know, and um, yeah. even everybody's ignoring that, but, but Patty or whatever that, hamburger flipping robot, it's only $30,000. And so that means that that's a whole person's salary for one year that you never have to pay again. And then, and, you know, just to maintain that person, that robot never sleeps, never complains, never comes in late, never stops. It's 24 hours a day, <laughs> you know? And so, right. but people get hung up on, on just Patty or whatever the robot is that it's other career fields and your main white collar career fields that are also being taken over. So what what is it that, you know, that you have to do to prepare kids to be innovative, you know, to be creative and collaborate and communicate and all the four C's that are important um, for our, our students future? Like right. that, those things are important. We, we have to get there. But there are some schools that are doing a dynamic job of preparing kids. And, and unfortunately, a lot of them are more affluent schools. Um, but that's not the case as well, because the the other the other thing that people are predicting it's going to be an issue would be your more affluent schools, the the high level affluent schools, because they think they arrived They're They they are doing well with their student right now from an academic standpoint. And, and you know, the, the the little exposure that they're allowing students to have with technology is not going to be good enough for those students as well. Whew. Well, it seems hopeful. And gloomy at the same time, <laughs> right? So it's it's all about who the decision makers are, who's uh, playing politics, you know, to your point earlier, you know, and how we're playing politics. Because there's a lot of good people who recognize the the faults in the gaps in education, right? And they're looking towards the future as well. And um, it's just a matter of if, if those individuals who are in the fight, like yourself, can can kind of shed that light and put that aha moment on, on the visual, on the individuals who are making the decisions uh, going forward. Right. So good luck and keep, uh, keep working on that because it is, it is um, looking like Terminator is going to happen pretty soon. Like people look at it in a negative sense. I mean, I, I don't, we're not at the point where, where AI is scary and is going to take over, but it's definitely yeah. going to enhance our ability to do our jobs. Live day to day. Yeah, absolutely. 
so you've authored three three books. You talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh-huh. Um, is there a specific moment or experience in your career that inspired you to write that first book? And what drove you to share your insights with a wider audience? Well, uh, the the first book <laughs> is 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 called "Stop Dribbling Footballs," and it, it looks like it it looks like it's a it's a a, a children's book. Um, and like I said, it's illustrated in a cartoon fashion by uh, you know a top cartoonist. But what the book is basically, in a long story short, it, it talks about a, a young man. It shows him in a crib, and everything around him is basketball, even the little. You know the little objects on the on the the Ferris wheel of the crib. Uh, you know he gets up and he's you know shooting you know baskets in the in the trash you know in the trash and in a clothes hamper all those kind of things. And then he goes to a new game, uh, and then he gets on the bus, uh, a school bus obviously, and he gets on the bus in his basketball uniform, and everybody else is dressed in the football uniform. And so you know he feels uncomfortable. He gets to the the school. Everybody's looking at him. Teachers are talking about him. But basically, long story short is when, when he he gets a new uniform, he gets this little football uniform and the, the, he, he becomes a quarterback. So they ask him to hike the ball. They hike the ball to him. He grabs it and starts dribbling. And the only thing people start doing is yelling, stop dribbling footballs. You know, yeah. um, long story short, uh, he kept doing it. And a coach, um, you know, put him aside and gave him real unique instruction and those kind of things. And he ended up being, you know, one of the top you know, wide receivers once you had direct instruction. And the, the point of it is from, for uh, adults, um, you know, if, if, a, if a student is struggling academically uh, in math, we give them small instruction. We, we intervene. We don't kick the student out. But if a student is struggling behavior wise, we just kick the student out. We say you should know better. Um, and, it is, and it's saying, no, you need to direct teach behavior just like you direct teach academics. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is is understanding that children function under hidden rule. Everybody function under hidden rule. They, the, the reason why you're successful is because you know the hidden rules of your environment. And if you don't know the hidden rules, um, then you look like you're crazy, like you're dribbling footballs. Um, and so when I would tell students, I would say, hey, um, you know, students who are acting up or if I go into an urban school and I say, hey, um, if we're playing basketball and I go around and tackle everybody, is that smart or, or is that crazy? And they're like, that is crazy. You know, some <laughs> students say, that's stupid. Yeah. And I say, exactly. I, you're not, but it is just as crazy to try to play the game of school using out-of-school rules. Then the students just pause. And, you know, yeah. it's like you're, you're in a safe environment. If a bunch of, you know, if a, if a, if a teacher stops you or something like that, out-of-school, I understand. It's disrespectful to work for someone you don't like. You know, it may be a stranger, all this kind of stuff. But in school, if a teacher stopping you, correcting you, you know, all, you know, the interactions, the overreactions that that students give is just not necessary. But anyway, so I, I tell them directly the hidden rules of school, and that you know, this is how you play this game, and the, and the students are successful. And so that's kind of what that book is illustrating. Also, is that you know, this person grew up with these set of rules. And now they're coming to school, which is a totally different set of rules of how to be successful in school. And, and people need to be direct taught those hidden rules. You can't you can't keep them hidden from the person. It didn't, exp- it didn't say you should know better. Uh, and so it's a it's an excellent book in that sense that can be used, used both ways for adults and for kids. Yeah, absolutely. That that can just be used through so many, so many applications in life. 
Yeah. Because you don't know what you don't know, right? But the, the key, the thing that at least that struck with me is the willingness, one, someone to teach or mentor that student, which you had in the, the coach. And then also um, your willingness to have your eyes open or have your mind open to learning right. new things. Oh, right? yeah. Because oh, a lot yeah. of times you're comfortable in what you know, and that's what you know. That's your reality, and that's it. And you you live in that in that reality. And that's sometimes it's okay, you know, and, and a lot of times it's not, right? Yeah. Uh, Everything you're saying is correct. It's, it's just like um, I will also tell the kids, if if you're at a football game and you're happy, what do you do? You know, you're standing on the bleachers, you're yelling, you're screaming. If you're at church and you're happy, what what do you do? You know, yeah. people are just quietly raise their hand. They may have tears come down. Their I mean, you know, you you guys know how to code switch. You know, if you're around your grandmother, what language do you use than you would if you are around, you know, uh, your friends? And so because a lot of kids, a lot of kids say, you know, you're teaching us to sell out. No, I'm, it's code switching and you already do it. And, you know, whatever environment you adjust. But the problem is people who are unsuccessful, they stay, they operate in the same rules and framework in a different environment. And they don't switch. They don't code switch. Right. Uh, you know, and the same thing with language. I, I tell kids all the time. It's like if you go to, a, um, you know, they're like, oh, you, you're trying to make us talk like we're corny or whatever. And I'm like, no. Or, or they say talk white, you know, whatever they say. And I say, hey, the, it's a green language. If you go and apply for a loan and you say, I ain't got none. Or you apply for a job, you say, I ain't got none. Chances are you ain't got no job either. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, you have to be able to code switch and, 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 and change up both language and behavior. Right. That's a, good, that's a good lesson. And I know it's a hard one to learn depending on how indoctrinated you are and whatever, you know, area that you're in. Um, it's difficult to switch. It's difficult to have an open eye, right? It um, is. But you really should. I've been afforded the opportunity. I, I was in the military. And so uh, being able to go to different countries as well gives you an opportunity, right? And, and you know, a lot of people go in and, and, you know, they talk about the the angry or the the ignorant American or whatever, whatever negative term. And it's because we go in to other places and we pretty much enforce or, you know, just thrust ourselves onto them instead of trying to understand their culture and things. Yeah. Right. And so I typically go in and I try to understand and look from, you know, not necessarily their perspective, but at least from a curiosity uh, perspective and just try to understand and learn. And that goes a long way. And then it also can open up your, your options and perspectives on things, right. It broadens your understanding of what reality is. And um, so I think it's an excellent opportunity for people to just go with open eye. It doesn't mean you're selling out. It doesn't mean all of these different things, but it puts you in a position to learn things and ultimately to have more options, you know, going down the road. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I believe that there's, and this is a bias, but I believe that there's only, there's not only, but there's two main platforms that give someone an advantage um, and learn those lessons. One is, is, is the military, as you just described, um, but it, it, and the preparation that, it, that you have to go through to get into the military. Um, and the other one is sports. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, I don't care if you have the 300-pound uh, uh, six-year-old, put them in soccer, <laughs> you know. But there's no other platform that you will learn how to persevere, how to, how to, how to lose gracefully, how to win gracefully, how, how to 
how to deal with loss, how to work as a team, how to how to listen to authority, how to, you know, stra- develop strategy, how to push yourself down. Like there's no other platform that teaches a person that. Um, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because um, what, you know, when I was a, a principal or when I was assistant principal, I had a principal tell me, you know, you these kids can't be on the team. They're, they're so disruptive. They can't be on the team. And I said, oh, OK. But what other platform can I can I teach these kids? <laughs> you know, yeah. you want me to have them join the math club or, or, <laughs> or you know, I, I mean, help me understand, you know, where where we can give these life lessons, you know, especially with a good coach where we can give these life lessons. And the other things is sports and the military are the only thing that breaks things down in segments um, for a person to get it and, and scaffold them up, um, you know, and, and, and even in teaching and education, we just. We teach the broad concepts and expects people to get it. And when they don't, you know, we don't we don't break it down um, and walk them through it uh, like we do in sports or like we do in the military. All right. So let's shift a little bit. Speaking of platforms, you've presented at national conferences and workshops. Is there an instance where a presentation didn't go as planned and you had to adapt on the spot? And how did you handle that? And that's. This is just one of those things where in life, you know, if you're in, in the business world or even in school, I mean, you start off at school and you got to present like public speaking is a thing, right? That is you either embrace it or you can't stand it. Right. But right. The, the thing that can always happen is something can go wrong. I would say more so starting out uh, and not understanding how to be prepared uh, for for the you know, unpredictable. So, you know, I, you spend all day developing these, these slides and, you know, videos and all those kind of things. And then you get to a place that doesn't have internet, right. Or oh, man. you bring oh, a Mac yeah, book and, and no one has the Mac connection. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> and so, or even you showing something that they don't have sound, you know, you're like, I needed them to hear this. I like, I really needed them to hear this. And so it's just kind of, in that sense, like, you know, being being nimble uh, and being OK um, and, and, you know, and being able to, to speak and still captivate your audience uh, without all those props that you usually uh, rely on. Being prepared for the unexpected. I, I, it makes me laugh because I just went and it wasn't me, but I was there at the presentation. So we spent like 10, 20 minutes looking for a cord. So that the presentation can oh. go from the laptop to the screen, right? right? And I was, it just is so tense a moment, right? Everyone's trying to be helpful, right? But how do you, how do you come through that in the end? So once you do get that connection, are you still that same? You still have that same vigor to to go out and, and do a dynamic presentation, or did that just kind of ruin your day, right? And you got to understand, like in sports, you talked about it in the military, stuff happens. You got to lift your head up and keep moving. You got to right. keep moving, right? And public speaking is just one of those things where it's difficult, you know, it for is. people because you don't always have to do it. So I'm hitting this home, everybody who's listening, because public speaking is about getting the message out, right? It's not about you. It's not about how you look or how, you know, all of these things that you internalize within yourself and you feel a certain way, just get that out of your head. It's all about the information. And if you can deliver some dynamic information to your crowd or to your audience, then 
all of that little stuff that you're thinking about yourself, you know, is is they're not they don't care about that. Right. right? They're, they're not going to care about your message if it's not dynamic. So you got to catch them. That's that's what it's all about. So and you got to know your audience. Have to know your audience. Yeah. That's another yeah. mistake I made. Not knowing my audience and presenting information that they already knew and not, you know, having the other information prepared to ex- expand on if I needed to pivot, you know, to who my who was in my audience. All right, so we're going to jump into another one. This is uh, from another step. It's, it's a hindsight question. So like many people see entrepreneurs as risk takers. Could you describe a moment in your entrepreneurial journey, whether with Playbook or other ventures, when you had to take a leap of faith and what were the results? I stopped my Fortune 500 job. Mm. I, you know, I was working for Oracle and you know, doing a lot of education and technology work for them, making excellent money. Um, but I, I believed I wanted to take a bet on myself mm-hmm. uh, and I believed in what I was doing. And I believe not only that it, it's impactful, but that also that I'm, I felt like I was developing a product that from an entrepreneurial standpoint, uh, you know, also, you know, being financially uh, beneficial as well. Um, but yeah, leaving, leaving that, I, you know, I had two kids in college, <laughs> you know, like, yeah still, you know, navigating that aspect and, you know, mortgages and and those kind of things and saying, you know what, I just, I feel like this is what God has for me to do. And, and he's, he, he's got me. So, you know, I had to just kind of put my faith into action. If you could travel back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? And, what do you think your younger self's reaction would be to that advice? So travel back in time for me will have to be back in my, my younger days. Um, and I, I'm an innovative person. I, I love innovation. I want to be on the frontier of innovation. Um, and at one point in time in my life, my brother and sister, for some reason, I, you know, I don't know, they had to do summer school and I'm, and I'm younger and uh, they were in high school and I was in middle school. And of course, I couldn't be home by myself. So I had to go to summer school with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was obviously no classes for me to take. And so they, as a not as a consequence, but I don't know, they put me in a computer class. And, and this is, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm old. So uh, um, I... That was, you know, when they just started introducing computers, we had these blue DOS screens. And yeah. I mean, yeah, it was back in the days. But, man, we were learning. We were learning some stuff. Um, and I had because of sports, we were allowed to go to a pretty good school in Kansas City at the time. Raytown South was it's different now, but it was it was a pretty good school. It was an excellent school as far as education. And, and they were you know doing some cutting edge stuff for more affluent students, but I, I got the benefit from it. And I, I, I've learned, I was learning technology that during that summer, I never followed up. I, you know, I, I loved it. it. It brought me joy to do it. Um, and, and my dad, he would, he worked for UPS and he would uh, go to like some of the wealthy houses in, in Overland Park, Kansas and those kind of things. And he would buy their computers. So I had every computer you could think of, uh, you know, Commodore 64, Apple's Macintosh, you know, all those computers. But we were more they were more so 
you know, we had a few floppy disks that had games on them and those kind of things. Um, but anyway, so uh, just I would have told myself to go at that age to start learning more about technology um, and, and start being comfortable with being uncomfortable and and really dive in and, and, and figure this out. I mean, I, I, I could have been, you know, <laughs> I'm being uh, overly confident, but I could have been Bill Gates or I could have been, you know, uh, the Apple founder, you know, those yeah. kind of things like, but I just, and, and I, and I know people, I know people who are around my age that was in the dot-com era and they, you know, they are able to now work and help people on their own time because they're, they're very wealthy. Um, you know, they're very financially stable. How about that? Um, yeah. I, I just felt like I could have been, you know, in that aspect. And, and, you know, at that time, those few people who understood technology and had technical skills, they were so valued. Now, you know, we're trying to get everybody into technology. Um, but yeah, I, I would have told my younger self to uh, don't just play games um, or develop games. <laughs> Heck, I don't, you know, develop games or, or, or something, but, but learn technology, um, even though it was a, a, a taboo thing. Mm. I say that because um, I'm listening to you and I was just having, and I swear I'm not even making this up. I was just having that same thought. Um, because I had a Commodore 64 <laughs> and I had a Commodore. What was the next one up? One, I guess it's just 128. Yeah, a Commodore 128. And it was just because of the cosmetics of it. Oh, it looks cool, right? And we were playing yeah. games. We we're playing yep. like summer games. Uh, yeah. So that's the the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> the Olympic summer games. I had that, man. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I was thinking, damn, you know, I had an opportunity to learn at ground level, right? If I just would have known to do it right. Or to know right. that that just wasn't the next fad, I guess, because it, well, bottom line is I had the same thought, right? So when you say this, it just resonates with me because right. yeah, I can use computers now, but to be, to be intimately knowledgeable of how it works would be a game changer for me personally. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And to have that knowledge 10 or so years Ago. 10 or so years ago. Yeah. <laughs> shit. 30, 30, 40. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, like you would have been a, a, a you know, maverick. You would have been a, a unicorn, a rare right. person. Right. Uh, so yeah. So, all right. <sighs> Let me get off of that one. <laughs> it's depressing. But, uh, <laughs> it's very depressing because you just see like year over year it's just we just keep doubling down on technology and tripling down and you know all this and it's just like ah if i just would have gotten it at the at the floor level right anyway um before we wrap this up and and i really am pre uh having a good time with this conversation dr phil is there any topic experience or any insight that you feel passionate about or would like to share which we haven't had a chance to touch on yet yeah, I, I I would say, um, in our urban envir environments, we're creating um, issues of, of of mental illnesses, and and they're all, a lot of them are due to extreme environmental stressors, and I'm passionate about figuring out a way that we can get services at the beginning end of of some of our our children within the school systems or within the communities. Um, to be able to help support them through their journey of what they're living through. These some of these kids, man, they're they're living through some pretty harsh situations. 
that even as an adult will will bring you to your knees um and and they're living vicarious through their parents or they're living vicarious through you know their environments and and man they come to school and they are on edge you know they don't know how to turn it off um i mean simple as you know i can see an adult tell a student you know you you dropped your your pencil uh, you need to pick it up and this student starts blowing up and cussing and fuss i mean it doesn't even equal as a matter of fact, you dropped your pencil. You know, I yeah. didn't even drop it. I didn't even knock it <laughs> off. And and it's like a overreaction, but it's and then the next minute they're fine. Like it's not that they're mad at you or anything like that. It's like they're they're trained and taught to just react big, you know. Yeah. Um and, and stre- and they're trying to communicate. I'm hurting inside, you know, but they don't know how to communicate that. And so they communicate it through, you know cussing and fussing and, and, and puffing up, you know, like a, mm. like a peacock, just so you, you know, will, will back off of them. Um, but they just, they just need, you know, a, a different level of, of support and, 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 and um, the, the help cope and, and deal um, with those um, issues. Right. I've seen it. I mean, we've all seen it. Hell, I've probably done it at times, <laughs> you know, and, you know, as you get older, maybe, you know, me personally, I can't speak for everyone. You know, you, you do these overreactions and then you, you assess and you take a moment and in, in, in quiet and, you know, you think about, damn, did that, was that equal to the external, you know what I'm saying, stimuli yeah. that, that I responded to? Yeah. And, that, and that's an individual situation. I mean, what I mean is try dealing with 300 people that are doing that, like popcorns. Like, pop, yeah, pop, pop, pop. I mean, they're pop, just pop, 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 pop. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, yeah, it's a war zone. Um, and, you know, that's why some people rank teaching as, you know, a, a, a also equally a very stressful and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, some areas, man, it is it, you go home when I was in Chicago, you go home and just, you know, you have to shower it off. I don't know. I mean, you you wake up in the middle of your sleep and, you know, you it, you see these aggressive you know, unwanted, unwarranted behaviors, you know, and it's, and it's, it's just, it, it becomes, it, it messes with you. Um, but, but yeah, it, it needs to be some overt, like support uh, of these students to be able to process through, you know, the situations that they're having death and, and abuse. And I mean, I can just keep going, man. It's just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. So anyway, if I were to, um, you know, have my wish or, or also um, that would be the next area um, that I would like to try to support and bring attention to and, and um, you know, um, and, 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 you know, help people through those journeys. Yeah, that's that's an admirable uh, cause. And I think the biggest thing in a lot of these is is one breaking that stigma. And I know they're trying to do it now. You see it a lot of uh, mental health issues, right? Because some are, from my perspective, you know, more severe than others. Some are just products of what you're around and what yeah. you're used to. Oh, yeah. And you learn these types of responses to different stimuli, right? Yep. And everybody interprets it differently. You have brothers and sisters exactly. in the same household and everybody reacts differently. Uh, and exactly. just real quick, I know we, we got to get off, but one, uh, you know, a real good, unique solution is, I mean, not unique, is, is common sense is, hey, a school is a public building. Why do not, why we don't have uh, clinics within schools, both 
health clinics and mental health clinics. You know, why don't we social work clinics? I don't I don't care. Like, why don't we have those kind of things within the school system? That's listen, I, I, I promise you, we have kids who they clearly broke their arm. I mean, you can almost see the bone coming through their skin or, or one. I even saw a bone, but the parents, they don't have enough money to just go visit a doctor. So they wait till the next day of school to send them to for our nurse to look at them. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait a minute. And, and but I'm saying like there's there are simple solutions that both two public en- entities are non private or, you know, organization like that, that whole communication needs to happen where schools need to be a, a, a family community and school partnership, um, and, you know, to, to help curtail some of that information. Some of our psychologists and, 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 you know, they have very few patients and they want more patients. Um, you know, you can you can build uh, Medicare, Medicaid. And, you know, the, we're talking school environments that have 100 percent low social economical students uh, for 100 percent free and reduced lunch. And so they already qualify, but you know, we, we, it's just some, some solutions are, are simple, man. Some solutions. I agree. Hey, so for the curious listener out there who would like to uh, get to know you a little better, uh, your work and your insights, how can they best connect with you or find more information about your projects, books, or upcoming endeavors? Yeah. On, on LinkedIn, it's uh, under Dr. Phil. Um, but as far as, um, um, my website is www.playbookeducation.com and playbook is spelled P-L-A-B-O-O-K.com. I know it's like, why are you, why do you have a reading app and you're misspelling the word play? And I'm actually not. It's a, it's a multi-syllabic word. So the vowel can scream its name. Uh, mm. and so it's a, it's a play on the English language, but that's how complicated our, our, our English language is. And, and it's just to, you know, to spark curiosity in a sense. Okay, awesome. Hey, I appreciate that. And Dr. Phil, Philip Hickman, Dr. Phil, thank you for joining me on Hindsight the Podcast. Your insights have been invaluable, and I am truly grateful for your time and your wisdom. No worries. And I, I thank you for the invitation. This was great. Thanks for tuning in to Hindsight the Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay updated on future episodes packed with inspiring stories. Before you go, leave me a message with your thoughts, feedback, or suggestions for future topics. And if you're loving what you hear, please take a moment to rate this episode. Your feedback helps me to grow and reach more listeners just like you. So remember, life's a journey. Stay tuned. Stay curious and keep gaining wisdom through the power of hindsight. Until next time. Oh, and don't forget, subscribe, leave a message, and rate this episode. When you look back in hindsight, everything is 2020. In hindsight, you make mistakes we're learning from. In hindsight, be yours today.